Lustpodden riktar sig till alla som är intresserade av lust och relationer i terapi. Podden leds av religionshistorikern och teologen Leif Karlsson och Hanna Möllås som är legitimerad barnmorska, legitimerad psykoterapeut och sexolog med flera auktorisationer i sexologi. Dagens lustpodd är lite annorlunda. Idag så gästas vi av Dr. Tina Schirmer-Seller från USA som är på Sverigebesök från Seattle. Jag nämnde bland annat om henne i avsnitt 68 som hette När religionen har lurat mig på sexuell njutning. Och där berättade jag om hur hon i en bok har skrivit hur det går att arbeta bort sexuell skam- jag lägger ut allt det här som vi pratar om med hennes böcker och hennes arbete på hemsidan så kan ni fördjupa er mer. Det här samtalet idag kommer bli på engelska men i nästa avsnitt så kommer Leif och jag tala vidare om det och om Tinas arbete så då sammanfattar vi lite av det som sägs i intervjun idag. But now I want to welcome you Dr. Tina and it's an honor to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you and have this conversation. It's also so fun to look up at all of your books and see books I love and friends I have and it just makes me happy. Yeah. Sex at Dawn. Oh yeah. gosh, so many great things yeah. up there. <laughs> and it's so cool that you know so many of the authors. It's, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Wonderful mm. people. I'm um, starstruck, but I'll try to keep it together. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you fun stories. I'm seeing a David Schnarch book oh, over yes. your shoulder and oh, yeah. David and I would go at it back in the day. Oh, you did? Well, because of sexuality and spirituality, yeah. you know, David said some yeah. amazing things yeah. in his first book or yeah. his yeah. big, his big yeah. book, mm-hmm. but he ultimately didn't think, didn't agree with the power behind mm-hmm. spirituality mm-hmm. in sexuality. And so he, I, I would say, I think you're missing something mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. You think wall socket sex is just about intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And I think you should be exploring. I do think yeah. that he should. And, and he unfortunately died last year. Yeah, I mean, did, it was I just heard. sudden. Yeah. yeah, a really good friend of mine was actually in consultation with him. Ah, because I, I heard him lecture when I studied sexology in Gothenburg. So I heard him a couple of times. And he talked a little bit about spirituality, but he didn't explore it. He didn't, he didn't. you know, in the deep end. Mm-mm. So oh, yeah. that's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is so nice. And I must ask, how is it that you're in Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> well, I g- grew up in a Swedish immigrant home mm. in Washington State. So it was and is my mm. people in many ways. Mm. And I just hadn't come back since I was 17. And so I'm a little older now. Mm. And looking forward to spending more time back here in Sweden. So this first trip back, I came to see my good friend, Tina Nevin. Mm. And um, and then I'm already planning for next year. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you'll come back. I am planning um, to come back. Oh, that is so nice. Mm. You have many titles concerning sexuality and Uh, the things that we talk about in this show and in this, in this podcast. So 
Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I, I began as a teacher, junior high, high school teacher, and then I decided I needed to go back and study family therapy, that I really wanted to understand how to create shift and change for families to support them to be more successful. After doing that, I ended up being invited to teach in the program that I had just graduated from and got involved in medical family therapy, which is really looking at the impact of chronic illnesses on people's lives, but also how we train physicians and how to help physicians do better doctor-patient relationship skills, that kind of thing. So did that for a number of years. So I've got, I'm licensed as a family therapist Met, did lots of stuff around medical family therapy. And as I was teaching in the graduate marriage and family therapy program that I was in, I was asked to teach their human sexuality course, which is a course required for licensure for marriage and family therapists in the state of Washington. And I was excited to teach that course. I'd been teaching sexuality at the junior high and high school level forever. I was very comfortable with it because of the family that I happened to grow up mm -hmm. in. And I taught that course for the all of the years that I was there, so almost 30 years. Oh. I started teaching it in the early 1990s. And around the year 2000, I began to notice that there was a dramatic increase in the amount of sexual shame. So just self-hatred and humiliation and naivete that people mm. had about their sexuality. And that really drove me to go get my doctorate degree in clinical sexology. I wanted to understand the human side of and, and breadth of sexuality that humans experience. And I wanted to be able to speak into the sexual shame that I was seeing in the lives of my students and in the lives of my clients and started doing research around that. So that led to me becoming certified as a sex therapist, having my PhD in clinical sexology, and then later writing a book on the impact of sexual shame on people's lives mm. and on their ability to do attachment well and do intimacy and pleasure and connection well mm. and how did we get in a place where where you don't do sexuality well which we don't in the united states mm. we don't do sexuality well mm. we don't train in it well so it led to to really that mm -hmm. yeah my i feel like my career has been circuitous but it's been following where have we been as institutions mm acting in harmful ways when we don't mean to. Mm. And in that sort of last stint, it was really the role that the church has played, the broader Western church has played in not supporting people and doing relationships well. Mm. It's so nice to have you here. But it would be very interesting to know how come that you have focused a lot about spirituality and yeah. sexuality. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Well, I think that fundamentally growing up, I had a, a deep respect and understanding for who we were as humans. And and as I did work in medical family therapy, I, I began to get language about that. So it's really who we are, bio, psychosocial, spiritual, sexual. So the body of us, our mind and how that works, our relationships and how that works, and the role that sexuality might play in our lives, even though that's demonstrated and lived out in many, many ways, mm -hmm. you know, in people's lives, I really think of us as an integrated whole. Yeah. And yet, 
we don't train well in that way as yeah. an integrated whole. We don't. And we we actually, I don't think, ever have. So as I began to see how much pain there was in the lives of students and in clients around the integration of sexuality and spirituality, mm. that they felt so unworthy of love and belonging. They mm. felt inadequate. They mm. felt um, disgusting. They mm. felt like they had a hard time seeing how valuable they were mm. as humans. And and that that played into their spirituality because they often had a paradigm by which to think about themselves. You know, they understood a God mm. and yet they saw that God as punishing as opposed to loving, mm. right? And so this way in which those two things had been used to hurt people, which I don't think was intentional, but it really, it came out of the mind body split that Mm. had been a part of our culture for thousands of years. Mm. And when you make the body and its desires bad Mm. and you uh, make spirituality good, which Mm. is what had happened in like the fourth century or third Mm. or fourth century, then you have people at war within themselves because they are the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so, and then when you go to love Mm. using your body, which is Mm. what we have Mm. to love with, Mm. then that's all called into question. Yeah. Even though it is such a pure thing to mm. love and mm. to give love and to receive love and mm. to nourish love, that had was called into question. People mm. called themselves into question. Mm. So it really grew out of watching the pain in people's lives and really believing at the heart of me mm. that we are not meant no. to see ourselves as unworthy of mm. love and belonging. We are meant to see ourselves as very worthy mm. and mm. very valuable. Mm. And yet that that wasn't happening for yeah. so many people. So what is your own relationship to Christianity and the evangelical church? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's such a, I love that question. <laughs> so you, you, it helps to know a little bit of American history. And I don't, not exactly mm-hmm. sure what's happened mm-hmm. all in Sweden, but mm-hmm. in um, the sixties, you know, we had the hippies mm-hmm. and, and it was a time where we got birth control in 1965. Mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade passed in 1973. Mm-hmm. There were a, a lot of women coming forward and saying, I have thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ways I want to be too. And it was in the church at that point, we called it the Jesus movement, yeah. that mm-hmm. it was a time when... Mm-hmm who Jesus was as a character was really held up as this is somebody who stands up for those mm-hmm. who are oppressed mm-hmm. who you know fights for those who are who have been treated in unjust mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. um it's all about grace mm-hmm. and love and acceptance and owning in many ways our humanity instead mm-hmm. of judging acting like gods ourselves mm-hmm. you know and judging each other and I got introduced to that Jesus uh-huh. when I was 14. Uh-huh. I was a figure skater at the time. I was uh-huh. in Southern California, which was a time when the Jesus movement, the place yeah. where the Jesus movement was exploding. So I was started going to concerts yeah. on Saturday night with a bunch of friends and hearing this great music. And I'm thinking, I love this Jesus. <laughs> like, this is my kind of person, yeah. you know? Yeah. And because I was all about those things myself. Mm-hmm. And it was very much a part of the ethic mm-hmm. in my family. Mm-hmm. So I kind of fell in love with, that Jesus. And that was what was Christianity to me. Yeah. Then in the late 70s, early 80s, 
there was this mm-hmm. reaction that happened in America. It was a reaction to second wave feminism. Mm-hmm. It, there was an economic downturn that happened around 1980. And then AIDS hit the East Coast yeah. and then the West Coast in 80, 85. Mm-hmm. So there was all this fear because no one understood. And mm-hmm. so like many, many, many times in human history mm-hmm. where there has been a lot of fear in the public mm-hmm. – those in power mm. take that vulnerability mm. and they try to use it. Mm. And that's what happened. There was, unbeknownst to lots of people, there was a socio-political movement that began to happen to try to get the conservative, fear-based mm. group of people to be uh, more, in our case, Republican, mm. more about fear. Mm. And so... Things came out like family values and all this kind of, but actually what was happening behind the scenes Mm -hmm. was this was really a push in increasing capitalism Mm -hmm. and helping the wealthy get wealthier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there started to be where where we had regulations in banks Mm -hmm. to protect the all, Mm -hmm. those got removed. Mm -hmm. Where we had regulations in media to protect the public, Mm -hmm. those got removed. Mm -hmm. And so now those corporations and those banks began to really grow and the people who owned and ran them began to become very mm-hmm. wealthy but what was being presented out front to the public was we are protecting mm-hmm. you and you know sexuality is dangerous women are dangerous mm-hmm. illnesses are caused by people who aren't straight mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. all these things and people were just like grabbing mm-hmm. a hold of this mm-hmm. and the church took and the, the probably the largest church was the Southern Baptist Church was that was really kind of leading things. Mm-hmm. It took a stark turn to the conservative to the right, mm-hmm. and we began to have a, a program called True Love Waits mm-hmm. that is about purity rings mm-hmm. and committing to never having sex before mm-hmm. your straight marriage yeah. <laughs> later in life. Mm-hmm. And we began to pump money, government money into abstinence education. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just happening in the churches. Again, this was a socio-political movement. Prior to this, we had a value of separation of church and state. Mm. But beginning in 1980, we began to merge them. Uh, And the kind of teaching that was happening in the churches was now happening in the schools Mm. around fear, sex is dangerous, and we need to be afraid of it. And since 1980, we've done research on the quality of that education and now know that 80% of that education was medically inaccurate. Mm. To this day, right now in the United States, out of 50 states, only 17 states have passed laws requiring sex education to be medically accurate. Oh. So we have had now 40 some odd years of this becoming very legalistic, Mm. both in the church, but also in the government, Mm. you know, in the sociopolitical movement in the United States, that's very much about men being in charge, Mm. men being in charge of women and their lives. And, and it actually is really about helping the rich Mm. get richer Mm. and not taking care of each other, Mm. because we just don't do that very well. And so that's, in, in my own family, it wasn't a religious family, but it was a family that believed in justice mm-hmm. and it believed in caring for each other. Mm-hmm. I think there were a lot of, the way I understood it was a lot of Swedish values, yeah, it felt yeah. like to mm-hmm. me. And 
And we were also very comfortable around bodies and sexuality. And so I learned about those things like you learn about recipes and brushing mm-hmm. your teeth. And mm-hmm. it happened all the time. Mm-hmm. There was never a talk. No. There was lots of them yeah. along the way. <laughs> With all of my yeah. my parents, my grandparents, yeah. my aunts and my uncles, all yeah. everyone. And so I f- began to realize that I had grown up in a very yeah. different kind of home. And I had a very different set of values, mm-hmm. just as the culture was making a very sharp turn from a more egalitarian way of thinking mm-hmm. to a much more patriarchal yeah. and strict way of thinking. And unfortunately, in the whole of my career now, mm-hmm. over 40 years, mm-hmm. We have yet to return to the yeah. way things were mm-hmm. in the 70s, where mm-hmm. we were making more space mm-hmm. for people who were different. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were, it was not perfect by any stretch then, but, but no, we no, have but... certainly not gone forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that very personal answer. It was very good because I, I didn't prepare you for that question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Completely fine. <laughs> but it was very good because I think it makes us also understand more about your work now that Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about because the clients you've met through your life but also now as a supervisor and you teach a lot uh, of um, people who want to become sexologists Mm -hmm. what are the questions that they come with I think uh, one of the things you hear most often is I'm doing the work of therapy and I realize that I feel really insecure in walking into their questions or concerns around intimacy, around sexuality, around pain, around low desire, high desire, differences of desire. Mm. And I don't know what to do. I find myself feeling like I I not only don't have any answers, but I don't have any words. Mm -hmm. And I need more training. And so that's often how people come. I also hear from people who have seen therapists and haven't had that part of their lives acknowledged at all or have dropped hints and the therapist doesn't pick it up or the therapist or physician or educator or clergy offers information that doesn't sit right with them, Mm -hmm. you know. And so there's an increasing, I think, awareness that clinicians of all ilk Mm -hmm. need to be trained in this more holistic kind of way and to recognize that when you get out of your grad training or whatever that is, Mm -hmm. to really look at how was I trained around the biological, the psychological, the relational, the sexual, and the spiritual, and where I see that Mm -hmm. that might be lacking somewhere That's really the first place Mm. that I need to get more training Mm. so that at least in that biopsychosocial, spiritual, sexual, Mm. I feel like I've gotten the training that were holes Mm. in my own grad training. And we all have them, Mm -hmm. right? I Mm. think grad training would need to be a couple years longer if we were going to cover those things. And we are in fields that we are expected to keep learning. So I think it's fine to be able to say, Okay, in those five areas, where am I really lacking? Mm-hmm. What can I do right now mm-hmm. to gain that training so that I am more competent mm-hmm. and confident mm-hmm. as I sit with people who bring me their stories, yeah. wherever their stories might go? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think for so long we thought about sex therapists as an other, yeah. you know, like a specialist. Mm-hmm. As opposed to people are going to come with their stories mm-hmm. and their stories are going to go all over the place. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to them? That when they go into the realm of sexuality or they go into the realm of spirituality, that we just then immediately refer them on. And now we've kind of abandoned them 
right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people won't go oh, to that sure. person. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really is on us as clinicians, as family therapists, as mm-hmm. physicians, whatever the deal is, that mm-hmm. that it is on us yeah. to become trained in an integrated way yeah. so we can hold people better, mm-hmm. hear them better, help them figure mm-hmm. out their way to mm-hmm. more wellness and mm-hmm. growth. Mm-hmm. So if someone will come to you as a therapist and say, well, I love to work as a therapist, but I can't talk about sexuality. That is something I don't want to talk about. What would you say to that person? I would ask questions, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say, well, tell me more about that. What does sexuality mean to you? Why does that feel so Mm -hmm. off Mm. base mm. for you mm. and and tell me about the part of you that thinks that you don't have a responsibility yeah. to that within yourself and mm. to uh, someone else like mm. help me understand that mm. i think that we don't do a good job mm. in our culture so it, i don't think it's weird that somebody would feel that mm. at all but i do think it's worth mm. asking yourself questions mm. around because yeah. our clients mm. out there in the world mm. They think we're trained. Yes. Exactly. Biopsychosocial, spiritual, mm-hmm. sexual. They mm-hmm. come to us thinking that we have the training. So is it ethical mm-hmm. that we don't say right off the bat, I don't have training mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, it's so interesting. I love this because I've heard it so many times from family therapists that have said that, oh, I can talk to them about their relationship, but I send them to you as a sexologist when we come to the sex part. And I think it's so sad because it's there's something lacking in, in the whole therapy then. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we are communicating back to them that this is a separate part yeah. of them. Yeah. As opposed to, nope, this is the whole of you mm-hmm. and it's been with you since you were itty bitty. <laughs> yeah. And it's a wonderful part. Yeah. We hold people differently mm-hmm. when we're trained in an integrated, comprehensive way. We That's hold so them different. We walk with them different. Mm-hmm. We listen different. Mm-hmm. Our fears aren't there. I mean, mm-hmm. because we've done our work. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely believe that people get much, much better care. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting since I started an institute because mm-hmm. we didn't have any training mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. part of the United States. The people who come through and get that training, they're full. Mm. Within six months, Mm. they're full. Mm. And they don't have room for more people because Mm. they just hold people differently. And the word gets out, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really, I mean, I like to invite people to think about the ethics Mm -hmm. of not being trained. Mm -hmm. And then the ethics of Mm -hmm. becoming trained. Oh, I love this. I love this. I'm falling in love. (laughs) So you've written several books. Would you like to tell us about them? Sure. So the first one Mm -hmm. is called Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Mm -hmm. Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy. Mm -hmm. And it came out of beginning to understand the amount of pain that had come from growing up during abstinence education, whether that was happening in your public schools or whether that was happening in your youth groups or wherever, that you were being given the message, not just don't have sex until you get married. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That one's been around for Mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was, don't think about sex. Mm -hmm. Don't desire sex. Mm -hmm. Don't touch yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't have a body. Don't have a body. (laughs) Right. Which is basically telling people not to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we started telling these messages when kids are 9, mm-hmm. 10, 11, when they really believe that we mm-hmm. 
know what we're saying yeah. and that they can, in fact, do this successfully, yeah. only to learn that they can't. Yeah. So what they think is, it must be me. Mm-hmm. It must be me. Mm-hmm. Not there's something wrong with this message, mm-hmm. but there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And and when you think about sexual shame, if you are in a family that is silent or silent and shaming around bodies and sexuality, mm-hmm. then you've actually been getting that message since you were mm-hmm. itty bitty. Mm-hmm. Like most kids start realizing that they have control over their hands about 10 months old. Mm-hmm. They find their genitals somewhere mm-hmm. around a year when they're mm-hmm. getting their diaper changed mm-hmm. or they're in the tub mm-hmm. or something. And if they're, that parent isn't there or caregiver isn't there to say, yep, that's your penis. It's yeah. a wonderful part of you. Or, yep, that's your vulva. Or, yep, you got a little thing there called a clitoris. It's wonderful. And then continues to wash them up and get them ready, whatever. If they have somebody that is reactive, goes <gasps> like this or slaps their hand away or something that it at a subconscious level, mm-hmm. right? Because the child's pre-verbal mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. They get this message, something must be wrong with me because I'm just being me. I'm just mm-hmm. being me. And they don't stop doing that natural thing mm-hmm. until they're five or six and they're caught playing doctor mm-hmm. or something. And at that point that they get in trouble, that memory might stick. Mm. And when it sticks, they start purposefully going underground, hiding it. Mm. But you have to know that it's happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before that Mm. from one to five. Mm. And so it's gotten deep in their DNA that something must be wrong with me because I keep inadvertently getting in trouble for just doing whatever I think, you know, like whatever, I'm just being me. And that deep shame shapes how people believe they're worthy of love, Mm. right? And so then they start to put on a mask and they say, I'll show you what I think you want to see. Mm -hmm. But then when you love that, Mm. you're not really loving me. So I don't receive that love. And when I'm loving you, I'm doing it from a mask place. Mm. So I don't really believe me either. And it's Mm. deeply fundamental then to how we give and receive love. Mm. That's pretty core to our happiness, how we give and receive love in our lives. Mm. And yet that's exactly the place that we've been hurting people is Mm. right there. As Mm. opposed to, yep, that's your nose, Mm. that's your eyes, that's your ears, Mm. that's your penis, that's your vulva. It's a wonderful part of you. And we Mm. take care of it like we take care of our teeth. And we, Mm. I mean, you just weave it into all of life. Mm. But you have to grow up in a society that sees it all as good. Mm. And that we have a responsibility to do good things with our bodies and with our lives that, you know, bless us and bless others, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And that got all lost Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way. Yeah. So how has this book been received? So So the book Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, I asked a couple of fundamental questions that I wanted to understand. And one of them was, how did the Christian church get sex negative? Was Mm -hmm. it ever sex positive? Mm -hmm. If it was sex positive, where Mm -hmm. was it sex positive? And what I learned was we've been sex negative in the formation of the Christian church since the fourth century. That's when Constantine became, he was emperor, Mm -hmm. he became Christian, he then had the power to appoint the very first leaders of the church. And at that point, the men, they were men, Mm -hmm. were vying for leadership by showing who could deny the body the most. 
And that's what was happening at that particular time. And when they couldn't do it, because they couldn't do it, (laughs) they blamed the women. And that has continued to be fundamental in the Christian church. So I asked the question, well, then not in, not in, on, in the Christian development of the Christian church, then on the Abrahamic line, mm. was there ever a place where it was positive? And mm. so I got into Jewish writing that was yeah. way over my head, yeah. <laughs> but, but wonderful mm. nonetheless. Yeah. And I learned that there had been some incredible sex positive stories yes. that had been there for thousands of mm. years and had never been brought mm. forward in the formation of the Christian church. Mm. I had never heard them. Mm. And I just started writing them down like, oh my goodness, that these mm. gifts were here. I mean, mm. clearly mm. there was in this monotheistic way mm. of thinking, there mm. was a God that was saying, I created you on purpose. Mm. This is good. It's here to bless you. It's here to help you form bonds in your mm. life that are meaningful and lasting. I mean, there was just so much there. Mm. And I was thrilled about that. And so I wrote about that. Mm. I wrote about the impact of consumerism Mm. on Mm. our sexual development Mm. too because i think that that has in america we sell bodies and we sell people Mm. and then we expect them to feel good about themselves Mm. when we drive our economy on Mm. making sure you feel badly about Mm. yourself so that you keep purchasing (laughs) things right and so it it Mm. crashes crashes in Mm. people's lives and then this whole time that i was writing the book i was working on what clinical interventions seem to help people heal sexual shame and claim themselves as good. Mm -hmm. And so I developed a model that I called healing the mess, the model for erasing sexual shame. And it has four basic Mm -hmm. processes Mm -hmm. that you do Mm -hmm. kind of over and over until the shame sort of drips slowly away. And it's frame, name, claim, and aim. And frame Mm -hmm. is get yourself a scaffolding, Mm. a frame of solid sex education. If you did not get that in America, most people have not. So Mm. get yourself that education so that you know what is real and what isn't, what Mm. is true and what isn't, what is fantasy and what is reality. So Mm. get yourself that that frame. Name is tell your story Mm. to someone who can be compassionate and empathic and hear you so that you can realize you're not alone because mm. you're not mm-hmm. alone. I mm. think 90 to 95% of people in America grow up in homes that are silent or silent and mm. shaming, mm. and they don't even know mm. that there's nothing wrong with them. They're mm. delightful and wonderful. Mm. They just grew up in a kind of messed up mm. kind of system. Mm. Claim is learn to claim your body as good, mm. no matter how it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Our shape and size and the way that we age, it's very much determined by our heredity, mm-hmm. much more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. And so when we're saying every you know woman needs to be six foot three and 120 mm-hmm. pounds or something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that, <laughs> it's really no, sweetie, you're supposed to be exactly how you are, mm-hmm. however yeah. you are. And however you are, if you wake up in the morning and you're feeling okay in Mm. your body. It is a good day and it's a good body Mm. and it needs to be celebrated and you Mm. need to be celebrated. Mm. And I think we need to support each other in that. And so we do, we have to do a lot of work Mm. because we are inundated day Mm. in, day out Mm. with messages that we're not okay. Mm. In America, we have 50% of six-year-olds already modifying their diets, Mm. six-year-old girls, Mm. two-thirds of nine-year-olds, and 90% of 15-year-olds. Mm. 
And so it's an enormous mm-hmm. amount of work that mm-hmm. we have to do to look ourselves in the mirror and say, that is good. Mm-hmm. That is good. Mm-hmm. So that is claim. When we keep working this frame, name, claim, mm-hmm. what we end up doing is we begin to aim towards a brand new legacy. Yeah. Rather than repeating and passing mm-hmm. on the shame that we've grown up, we began to say, no, I want that. Mm-hmm. I want that mm-hmm. legacy mm-hmm. for me, and I want it for any little one in my life, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do everything I can to pass on a different mm-hmm. legacy. And so that's really the model for mm-hmm. erasing sexual shame. Yeah. And then at the very end of the book, I just gave some practices that people can do, touch and non-touch practices mm-hmm. that people can do to begin to integrate sexuality and yeah. spirituality in a way that feels okay with mm-hmm. them. That book took 11 years to write. Oh. It was not easy. And yeah. I felt like I was taking on the church, although I didn't necessarily want to, but mm-hmm. I did want people to know that more was desired for mm-hmm. them and that more was available mm-hmm. to them. And so it took heart and soul for 11 years, yeah. and I got a really wonderful editor who helped me at the end and um, some wonderful mentors that helped yeah. at the end, and it entered the world and has been doing really well both in academic circles but also in people's lives, yeah. everyday people's mm-hmm. lives. And I wrote it to clinicians mm-hmm. because at that moment in the development of, of clinical sexology, there wasn't any cultural competence mm-hmm that was around for how do you do work with people with this kind of background. But I filled it with so many stories that my hope was is that it could be picked up by somebody who had experienced this mm. and that they would find themselves in the book. Oh. And it's it's because they always say, don't ever write for two audiences. Oh. And I did, <laughs> you know, but it's been doing oh, really well. Yeah. And it's, I think I've hear from people all over. Mm. Um, it's making a difference. And that makes me really happy. So the second book that I wrote yeah. called um, Shameless Parenting, everything, so yeah. <laughs> everything You Need to Raise Shame-Free, Confident Kids and heal your shame too, Mm. really grew out of people saying to me, Tina, I don't want to pass on the shame that I got, Mm. but I have no idea what to do. Mm. I don't even know what's normal at different ages. Like I need help. Mm. And so I'm like, I've been teaching this stuff forever. I've been teaching it to doctors and therapists, and Mm. I will put together something Mm -hmm. that will hold your hand. And it's divided birth to two two to four, four to six, two-year increments up Mm. to age 18. And it says, basically, here's what they're going to do behaviorally Mm. in general. Mm -hmm. Here's what they're going to, their emotional Mm. kind of tasks they're trying to accomplish. Here's the sensual or sexual curiosities Mm. that may emerge during Mm. this time. This is what it will look like when Mm. they act out of that place. And then I ask questions, how do you think that might be for you? Mm. So people can get in touch with if there's Mm. shame there for Mm. them. And then I offer questions that help Mm. people sort of think through what did happen for me. Mm -hmm. If I feel that kind of feeling, you know, I can ask, what do I think happened? And what would I have wanted? What Mm. would I have needed? Mm. So that they can begin to heal their shame. Mm -hmm. So then they can give their child Mm. what their child is needing. So I say to people, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just Mm. need to be a little bit ahead of them. Just, just a little bit ahead. And so that's what that book does. It just every two years, it says, here's the top resources Mm. to get. Here's the top books and websites. Mm. Here's the main stuff. Know this, you're good. You know, and in a year or two, look at the next section and you'll be good. So that was my attempt to really hold the hands of parents who were Mm -hmm. not wanting to pass on the Mm -hmm. shame that they had Mm -hmm. experienced. Mm -hmm. 
So this is so great. And I think that uh, I will put it on the website how people can buy these books because I think they're so interesting even in the Swedish context. So this is so nice. And I think that shameless parenting, I think it's the huge thing. How has this book been received? Well, it's it was just <laughs> surprising to me. I think I was just putting it together to answer the questions and what I, what I was was being asked and when it was released it was a a new release bestseller in eight categories oh, on what? Amazon oh right gosh. away yeah. yeah and i was so thrilled because i thought okay mm-hmm. so the teachers are happy yeah. with it the med- medicine is happy with yeah, it everyday perfect. people are yeah. happy with it and yeah. maybe it will do good yes. out in the world oh, yeah that's so nice Thank you, Dr. Tina, for joining us today. It was so good. (laughs) I could talk with you for hours, I know. So I hope that we will meet again next year. I hope so. Let's do that. Yes. And I will link your homepage on my website so that the listeners can read about you more if they want to. Great. Thank Mm. you so much. And thank you so much for this conversation. Yes. And have a great time in Sweden. Thank you. (laughs) I will. I will. Thank you for this. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Du har lyssnat till Lustpodden. För mer information och tips från programmet så hänvisar vi till lustpodden.se. Där kan du också kontakta oss om du vill vara med och berätta din berättelse om lust och relationer i terapi. Signaturmelodin är skapad av Johan Nilsson och redaktör och producent och ansvarig för klippning är Julia Lindeck.